Hi, I'm Rabbi Pinchas Winston. I'd like to invite you to listen to my new show called Ask the Rabbi. Just email me your questions about Judaism, family life, Jewish mysticism, or even end times, and I'll read them on the show and answer them. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Israel Time. I hope to hear from you soon. Email Rabbi Pinchas Winston at pwinston at 36.org. That's spelled out, 36.org. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the Noahide nations. Boy, it's glad to be glad to be back here, Adam. I you know, missed last week. I felt kind of bad, and I had so much to say, but couldn't get it out because I wasn't here. Did you go fishing or something? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh, I can't even remember what it was. We were just so uh, uh, backed up. Uh, we had I mean, we had a Noahide wedding. We had uh, just all kinds of stuff that I just I sure. couldn't manage to make it here to do the recording, but. Folks, hey, it's good to be back. It's uh, great to have you along with us for this week's show. Uh, I think, uh, as always, as I think, uh, we, we've got a, a decent show because uh, we're, we're talking about the the political situation here in America and what the repercussions of that might be around the world. You know, and in, in our arrogance as Americans, we tend to think that uh, anything that America does affects the entire world. So, and in most cases, that's it's true. true. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, what, what China does affects the world and what Britain does affects right. the world. So, you know. But we're the ones who always get blamed for it. Yeah, right. Yes, I know. <laughs> so, well, we're so, so big, we're an easy target. Uh, I think that's true. Um, but anyway, Anyway, we're we're kind of uh, talking about the, this whole Romney versus Obama, and you know why one segment of let's call them God fears. We'll put everybody into that one category. Why you know some of those people would vote for somebody like Obama? Why some of those people would vote for Obama or I mean uh, Romney, and why they wouldn't? So uh, we're just going to kind of expand on that because certainly at, at a minimum, if this election doesn't affect anything other than Israel and the people here in the United States, that seems pretty big to me. It's huge, but. You know, the, it's, it's not just about real. There's so much going on this last week oh. in the news that we we've got a lot to talk about. It's almost scary. Yeah, I mean, uh, we I mean, we were talking about it before we came on air. Immigration. I mean, the big announcement on immigration, and I don't know if I have the exact numbers correctly, but I believe it's uh, they were saying children. They're using children as the 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 uh, theme behind this, but it's actually people that are like 18 to 30 years old. I don't know many 30-year-old children. I know a few, but I don't know many. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I don't know where this, in my opinion, I don't know where he gets off or where anyone gets off. Just changing the Constitution just like that. Because I said so. It is. I, I, I don't understand that other than I know his reasoning for doing that. Clearly political. People on his own side are saying he he did this out of pure politics. So this is, you know, Obama is showing our hand. In 2008 when he ran and he was, uh, you know, of course not running as the incumbent, he could he could preach hope and change. Right, right. There's right. a famous uh, um, line in, uh, Oh, brother, where art thou? So we're four years later on now, he's the incumbent, right? Right. So, okay, hope and change got him into office. <laughs> but hope and change, he can't run on that this time no. because he's the incumbent, right? Oh, brother, where art thou? Where, where we have, uh, they, you know, he, the, 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 Pappy's asking, why, why is this guy killing me, right? 
well, he, he, you know, because he's running on a platform of hope and change, and his his son goes, maybe we should get ourselves some reform, right? And he goes, mm-hmm. you idiot, we're the incumbent, we can't reform. <laughs> so this is the this is the problem is is that in order for Obama to to run an effective campaign, he has to run in a campaign of reform, but he's the incumbent, right? So he can't reform, right? You know, you know, because he has to say because part of running as reform is saying. Geez, that guy is a knucklehead, and he isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. I'm still waiting for that. So yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so right now he's focusing on what other, what can he do other than uh, hope and change. What can he do other than run on a platform of reform? He can attack Romney. Right. He can uh, make. He, he can pass political legislation such as immigration. Well, he can also blame the past administration, which is a, a, a thing that goes on every day. It's, it's it happens all new. the time. Actually, we talked about that last week. <laughs> I called it Obamanomics and the Blamerang was our, our, our title last week. <laughs> We've got the, the Blamerang he, he likes to throw out there. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, that's his, that's his tactic. Tactics is, is to blame other people, to uh, talk about how the other guy's no good for the country, but it's not about what he's going to do to change the situation. It's not what he's going to do to make things better. It's about, you just don't want that guy. Right. And uh, quite frankly, the only change that I see is that there's now no hope. Right. <laughs> if he's right. in for another year, four years, there's no hope. We're, we're finished. I'm, I'm going um, to sneak into Canada illegally, I think. In, yeah. In, in the blues. Residence there. Yeah, they'll probably hang you within a week. <laughs> All I can do is catch you. Oh boy! But uh, and you know, here again, we're not trying to single out Obama, even though it may seem that way. Uh, I, I guess on this particular issue, and we'll kind of stick with this immigration issue uh, for a bit. Um, why would these illegal aliens vote for Romney? And you know, I sit and I think about it, and the only thing that I could th- think is number one, and we talked about this, most of them are Catholic. And the Catholic Church right now is in a war with this administration. So that would be only for those who are more fearful of God than they are of Obama. (laughs) And uh, you really wonder about that. Um, The other thing that I could see, but I don't know how they're thinking, because if you're illegal, you're not supposed to be able to get jobs. I mean, I don't know how this works, but... Maybe they they could think that uh, he's really Romney's really the only one who knows how to get people hired, knows how to create jobs, knows how to uh, to make money. I mean, this guy went in and took a sinking ship called the Olympics and saved it and turned it into this huge monumental event. And it was, I mean, it was a miracle, literally. Sure. Uh, but he did it. Now, how many people think of that? I, you know, I don't know, and I, I guess it really it doesn't matter at this point other than demonstrate that, you know, the guy does have a brain. He can think his way through these issues, these real problems, and turn them into something very good. Well, I, but I, I don't think I, – I think that that's giving them too much credit for thinking into this. That's what I was worried I, about. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I think that, honestly, for them, we're sneaking into America anyway. There are jobs there uh, for them that, you know, look – Let's face it, you're, you know, it's very appealing for businesses, not just for your average job, but for businesses to pay some illegal right. uh, a certain amount of money to do a job for them, not have to pay taxes on it, not have to pay them as much. Take right. advantage of them, really, is, is what, what they end up doing. And it's advantageous for them because uh, they don't either want to wait or can't wait for the naturalization process. Um, 
because look, uh, Mexico's a, a war zone. The entire right. country. You know, who wants to live there? Who you know? I I can't really blame them for wanting to get out. I can't either. I mean, our own government supplying the cartel with the weapons to kill them all. Absolutely. So <laughs> I, I don't blame them on that count. And the the issue, though, is is, is um, the way that people are tr- choosing to deal with it. That becomes the problem where we say it's okay for you to sn- uh, sneak in. It's okay for you not to go through to, through the right channels. But I think what they don't care. Can Romney create jobs? Who cares? What they care about is making it easier to have access to jobs that are already here, the, the problem that they have, though, because like they are Catholics, is you know the the uh, church and in, 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 uh, is having a problem with uh, Obama's stance on contraception, and uh, this is what's causing an issue. Okay, so what, what about this? I mean, I think uh, for the most part we're kind of really talking about illegals because we do know that they vote. In fact, we know that the current administration is trying to uh, prevent Florida from cleaning up its voting registration uh, so that these people can't vote, and they're trying to stop that. Mm -hmm. So what about these people who are citizens? I mean, these very same illegals, yeah, they're all from the same country, might even be from the same doggone town, but... These folks, they did it the right way. They they stood in line. They waited. They did what they were supposed to do and succeeded. Right. Now, how do those folks, how do you think they vote? Well, it's a great question. Some of them have family members they would like to get back into this country. And naturalization takes a long time. It's not an easy process. So, so the heck with the Constitution, the heck with uh, you know violating the law. They would vote in favor of, well, I had to go through the whole process. I hope that my uh, brother doesn't have to. And if I have to hide him in the basement for five years, that's what I'm going to do. Well, look, I think the thing is, is we talked about this before, the Democratic Party is seen as the party of minorities. And that's so what they're what they're doing is, is, is that that's their their political strength comes from. The people, whether the people are legal or not, that's where their strength comes from is the people. And this is a tactic that's been used throughout history, and that is who can control the mob, who can control the most people, because that's where their their, their strength comes from. Right. The Republican Party, on their hand, has the perception of being the one percenters, right? Right. The, peop- the, the, the rich people, this is the... the, the uh, the group for the rich, or the people who want to become rich, the people who have the capitalistic dream to move up from where they are and, and go upwards. So they maybe don't have the people in the sense of the um, illegals, but they do have ideolo- ideologically those who believe in the American dream, those who are you know, willing to invest themselves and try to, to, try to make money. I, I guess that's sort of the stereotype of, of, of both groups in some way, right. is that Republicans, one percenters, Democrats, it's the party of the people. The fact of the matter is, is it's not so clear cut. No, it's not that simple either, and people just need to pay a little bit closer attention. So I, I think at the, uh, uh, the, the end of the day, uh, what we see here is President Obama uh, lobbying to retain the vote of the Hispanic people uh, because he doesn't have to lobby to get the the votes from the dead because he's got their vote. They're all going to vote for him anyway. <laughs> so uh, moving right along here, <laughs> this executive order has got me and, and many people just 
out of their mind. I mean, I'm pulling what's left of my hair out because <laughs> this is the most utter insane thing. You know, I, I always, I always think every day. I thought I'd seen it all. I think I've seen it all. And then they do something else that is just so mind-boggling that you never know what the next thing is going to be. And in this particular case, if we understand what an executive order is, an executive order is a privilege of the president to protect speech, communications that he himself has had with other people in his administration is a very similar thing that Richard Nixon used. And to some degree, was able to get away with, but at the end of the day, he wasn't. Uh, because the courts you know, made their ruling, and we all know the rest of the story. Here we have a case of Eric Holder, the, the, the chief law enforcement agent in this country, hiding information that could lead to the people who are responsible for somebody, one of our own, an American, being killed, a law enforcement officer being killed, one of his own. They're hiding these documents for a reason. So now, because push came to shove and we're going to file contempt and we're going to have the vote on it and uh, his negotiations were not even negotiations. They were almost, a, uh, uh, you know, here's what I got for you and that's all you're going to get. Mm-hmm. He turns around and goes to the president and I, I need you to give us the, the shield. So what does the president do? He signs off on the executive order, thus admitting candidly that, oh, I was involved because now I'm signing this executive order so none of the communications can now be let out. And I think he's found himself in a a real bad situation that he's basically picked up the shovel, dug the hole, and is now burying himself. What what does he do? You know, does he abandon Holder? Well, that makes him look weak. Does he accept Holder? Well, that makes him look guilty. So, <laughs> I can. He, you're right. He's in a dilemma. It's a dilemma of his own creation. But it's a it's a dilemma. What do you do? And well, I could. Uh, I have the answer for that. Yeah. You that? do what's right. Well, okay. if the guy's guilty, the guy's guilty. But if your hand is also on on the button too, then you then you cannot do what is right because then that doing right affects you and takes you. But right, down. you do realize we're talking about politics, right? I do. <laughs> And I know people are doing just what you're doing. <laughs> We're all laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, it, it, it's, it is unfortunate because we, we've we've come to accept the corrupt nature of politics to such an extent that we the, the, the very notion that someone would be honest and do the right thing as a politician seems absolutely absurd to us. That's, yeah, that that's part of the problem. And, it is. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that the reason it's like that is because once again, I'm pointed this out last week in the show, it's because we're not holding ourselves responsible. If we held ourselves to a certain level of, of responsibility as individuals, then we would come to expect the same thing from our leaders. Right. But I think we're a country of, of followers. I think most human beings are followers, not really leaders. So we look to people to set the example that we can follow. So follow and the right now, well, okay, but that's not an example that's, that's, not an example that's uh, acceptable. They're doing everything they can to remove God from every possible scenario so, in this country. So we, so we fix this by having people who are Noahides, people who are Jews, follow the Torah, create our own political base of Torah-observant people. Yeah. 
got to uh, clean out this group, which is absolutely morally bankrupt and uh, ethically challenged. I mean, these people are, are losers, and we are the ones who keep putting them into office. So who's really the loser here? We are the ones who wind up losing as a result of having to put these losers why, in. Why so and all we're doing is following their, their pattern. Why, why do we have one of two uh, choices for president in both, you know, Look, I don't know Mitt Romney. He sounds like he seems like he's a he's a business person and whatnot. Is he is he my ideal candidate? No, I, I don't. But I haven't seen an ideal candidate from the Republican Party for a long time. For either party, for, for either a party, long time. For either, from either party for a long time, and uh, you know, not not since I've been the voting age at the very least. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, the executive order is really uh, something that I think every president when necessary need, needs to use it in this particular case uh, there was no need to use it other than uh, once again politically because there's documents that these guys you know the, the democrats say oh well he's turned over seven thousand pages already well they they wanted eighty thousand I mean, so what? They gave 7,000. That's the number of napkins in the room. You know? I mean, they, they subpoenaed 80,000, not 7,000. So, you know, this, this idea of this executive order is really a, a blatant abuse of power and basically makes the, the, the president, the office itself, a joke that you could be so abusive in that position. Now that goes for whether it's Obama. I say the same thing about Richard Nixon. I say the same thing who uses that to wield it as uh, a, a power for their own self rather than for the justice for the people. As a get out of jail free card. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Beautifully put. And then, of course, we get into the thing that really, this, this really upsets me because. Uh, I always wonder about these politicians. Sometimes they make such bonehead moves, I just sit and think they're going to get us all killed. And lo and behold, look what's happened. We have these leaks from the White House, and of course it had to involve Iran. You know, may as well have just you know, leaked stuff on North Korea. I think Iran is even more dangerous. And so now... Not only have we put people in, in harm's way uh, who have now are paying the price, like the doctor who's now in prison, and I'll guarantee you the 30, was it 33 years or something like that, is not going to be a fun time. Uh, everyone in, in that prison is going to want a piece of this guy. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I feel horrible for him. I feel horrible uh, for his family. I feel horrible for the, the uh, uh, people of Pakistan because of the leadership there. But you know what? I even feel more horrible for us because now we have an administration who, without any regard for the safety of its own citizens, is leaking this information. And for us to think for one minute that Iran is not going to take this personally, is not going to uh, try and retaliate in some fashion, sure. is crazy. It's ridiculous to think that that's not going to happen. Yeah, it, it's a huge problem. And, uh, you know, this is one more thing. This is this is just adding to the pile of, of problems and troubles <laughs> that the president's created for himself, um, you know, how is he going to react to it? Well, probably he's going to 
blame at even a more furious pace, I'm sure, other people. Oh, yeah. So uh, he's probably going to try to distract us. Well, I'm sure Romney will he's, get blamed for it somehow. I mean, he's already he's already uh, used uh, the uh, immigration issue to try to detract a little bit from the economy. It's interesting that the day that uh, he had the uh, the his 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 economic talk right in Ohio, he was supposed to give this his plan for Ohio. Suddenly, the same day the immigration thing comes out, right, right to, to of course to distract. Because if you listen to his speech in Ohio, what did he tell us that he was going to do for the country? What was he going to change? Nothing. <laughs> He's he wants more money. To add, you know, to, for more stimulus, right? Which uh, we we went through some of the numbers last week, and I showed that stimulus doesn't work. When you pay, you have his stimulus package that he spent eight hundred sixty-two billion dollars on. We got three million jobs out of that. Do you realize that if you took that that eight hundred sixty-two divided by three million, right? Mm-hmm. You're spending almost two hundred thousand dollars per job. Does that make it's, a lot of sense? Well, to the government, it does. Could you run a business though? Where no, because the business is your money. That's right. These people don't have any of their money. They have our money. They have our money, and they, it's they an endless be, supply in their minds. They don't have to be, but you know, it's not an endless supply. Well, now we take all of these issues, and we're running up uh, close to the the bottom of the hour. So let me kind of wind up with with this and where we're going to go when we come back. We've got these three issues. And this was just last week, folks. <laughs> you can go week after week after week after week and just, you know, you don't have to look hard or far to come up with this kind of stuff. Um, and when we come back, uh, I, we want to go through some statistical information that I, when I ran into it, I just found it absolutely mind-boggling. And it's once again asking, and I don't even know if we're going to have an answer, but asking the question, how can people... Knowing what they know, the three things we just went through, knowing this, continue at a pace of, in some cases, 50% of the people want Obama back in office. Right. How how do people get there? How do they think that way? How I want to know who these people are. What are they thinking? Are they just mind-numb robots? I mean, do they? Has, did the media do such a fantastic job over the, the uh, Bush years of instilling hate towards conservative and, and, and uh, religious and Republicans? Did they do that good of a job that that hate still lingers today? Because I know, I mean, it was venomous. I mean, the media was ruthless. And they, at this point, they now worship the guy that's in office. And it makes me, I'm tired of throwing up on my but, shoes. But I'll tell you what, they made some, the media has asked some hard questions. They've had to. They've had to. So anyway, when uh, we come back, Adam and I are going to touch on some of the statistical information. And I'm sure you'll find it uh, as interesting as I did and possibly as horrifying as I did. So stick around with us, folks. We're going to be right back. Hi, this is Benjamin Bresky, host of the Israel Beats Jewish Music Podcast here on Arut Shava Israel National Radio. Every week, I bring you the latest and most interesting in Jewish and Israeli music with interviews and exclusive features. 
Now is your chance to give back. You can donate to your favorite Arut Sheva Israel National Radio shows by going to donateinr.com. That's donateinr.com. D-O-N-A-T-E-I-N-R dot com. Hey, Avram, what's that in the sky? Hey, man, I think that's a bird. No, no, that's a plane. No, man, it's super. You're right, it is a plane. That's not just any plane. That's an Aliyah flight. Whoa. On one. That's a great question. Hi, I'm Avraham and I'm Michael Cohen. Join us every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Israel time for Aliyah Fever. We're going to help you make your Aliyah dream come true. I'm going back, I'm going back to Jerusalem. The place of my birth I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm on my way. I'm on my way, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. The things of my birth will help me do. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Arut Sheva. Shalom and welcome back, folks. We're glad you decided to stick around with us for another half hour. Didn't know if you could stand us or not. I had to pull Ray out of a tree. He'd gotten so agitated. <laughs> oh, it's like some of this stuff just makes my head hurt so bad I just get on my knees and just, oh, where's the Tylenol? <laughs> but let's get back to uh, some statistical information. Uh, so this isn't even mine or Adam's opinion. This is actually opinions from uh, folks like Adam and I and you and everybody else out there uh, that I've, I just found rather amazing. And it kind of, you know, starts off with the way I, I ended the, the first half is, you know, how, what are people thinking? Uh, I've just looked up some general information, like general election numbers, and these are polls that anyone can access. They're all over the place. They show an, uh, a dead heat tie between Obama and Romney at 45%. Now, of course, for Republicans, they'll say, oh, boy, Romney has pulled up to even. And, you okay, yeah, okay, I get that. I like it. It's fine. But I would really love to know who these 45% of the people are still for Obama after everything that this man has done to this country and to the people in this country and to the Constitution of this country. How do 45% say, oh, yeah, I want four more years of this? Well, of course, you met your, your, your uh, yellow dog Democrats, those who will never vote anything other than Democrats. Yeah, and put Donald Duck in office if they if it had a D next to his name, which it does, it would be Donald Duck the Democrat. That's right, yes, so... <laughs> So yeah, I, you know, so some of that is is just people who are going to vote with their party no matter what you do. Um, how do others, uh, you know, how do the, the thinking portion of that deal with some of these issues? Well, actually, you know, they, it, it's a spin. It's the way they look at it. They look at the economic crisis as being something that Obama inherited from George Bush. They look at it as... Uh, but wasn't he elected and put into office because he said he could fix all of that? It's a bigger problem than he thought. Oh! 
We haven't. Spent, Maybe we need a bigger guy than him. Then we we haven't spent enough money on stimulus to be able to deal with the problem. The problem is so bad. Spending eight hundred sixty-two billion dollars to create three million jobs isn't enough. We need more stimulus spending so that we can put more people to work. We need to get the uh, the public sector jobs built up, not private sector jobs. You, you know, I always I always laugh because people talk about Reaganomics, trickle down economics. Democrats believe in it too. They just believe that. The, the, the economic effect doesn't come from having more government jobs than right. private sector jobs. Right, exactly. It, it, the trickle-down comes from government, not the private sector. Right. And which no country that's uh, been around that's failed, you look at their economic history, and you can see, look at today, Greece, why they fail. Europe, why is it failing? It all points to the same thing. And yet, here we are, we are on the bullet train to catch up to these people. And they're going down the toilet and they're, they're using their own hand to flush it. I mean, I'm absolutely amazed because people still talk about how great um, socialized medicine is in, these, <laughs> in Europe. And they always bring up Europe and it's like, have you seen what's going on in Europe right now? Do you realize the euro is failing? Do you, have you seen Greece? Do you, is this the direction that you want? I, I think there's a disconnect from, from reality to a certain degree for some people. But, look, th- there's a way you, you argue the, the, the facts. Everybody has the same facts. What matters then is how do you interpret the facts. It's the same way when you're dealing with science is evolution, right? right. The way things happen are right. the six days of creation. Right. We have the same facts. How do we reinterpret those facts? And that's what's going on is that that 45%, those of, who are engaging in the discussion... They're, they have a certain interpretation of all these facts that allows them to feel comfortable voting for him. Well, I don't know how they do it, and especially if we're talking about what is alleged to be a God-fearing country. I, I, I don't know how you can make that statement and actually believe in it and put people like this into office. But, but Ray, you go, you go up north, you're not going to find it. We're, we're in the Bible Beltway. Yeah. You're right. You go up north, it's not like that. Like When I, when I was in college, I had Christian friends had, uh, who went and lived up north for a while. And Christianity, according to them, was dead or dying up there. There was no uh, real interest in the Bible more than paying at lip service. Same thing that, that happens in Europe with, uh, with England. The, mm-hmm. the, the church there is, is nothing. If it's paid any service at all, it's lip service, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So you can't. You know, more and more we're trying to become more like Europe. And what we should be doing is trying to become more like America. And that's where our problem is. Okay. So let's, for a moment then, let's remove Hashem from this equation. Okay? And look at some of this stuff just from a practical reality standpoint in a a logical way and, and, and ask some questions. Here's an example. Nevada. Nevada presently has an 11.6 unemployment rate. Yeah. 11.6. They've done polls. If in the general election, Obama would win 48% to 43. That's five points. That's a big number. When you talk about elections, sure. 5% is a big number. So I, I dug a little bit deeper. And I learned that there, his, uh, President Obama's current job approval rating for the people in Nevada is 50%. Think that he's doing a great job and deserves another term. 
And then I also, you know, this is inconsequential, but, you know, in a way it kind of lets us know why Nevada is in such a dire straits. Is the the uh, state legislature is democratically run. So <laughs> that kind of lets you know how why the state is in the condition that it's in. But I really am begging for an answer as to how there are 50% of the people in a state with almost 12% unemployment put the guy back in who holds the key to that. He's the one that's, it's not Bush. We're three and a half years later, going on four years. My gosh, Ronald Reagan took us out of the dumpster in in less time than that. We were at least on a path that showed us some signs that things were changing. The only signs I see are getting worse. And I want to know why 50% of the people think Obama's doing a great job. Do you have any idea? His stimulus spending uh, centered uh, largely around... Uh, supplementing state uh, budgets on things like unemployment and uh, Medicaid. So what he's doing is he's taking that stimulus money and he's, he's spending it. And they, I think there's a, a perception that he, he is trying to help uh, amongst these people and that he's trying to do but the problem is so big. I, I think, you know, here, here, if, you, if you really want to understand how to, how to deal with politics the conservative approach versus the the, Demo, the liberal democratic approach. You got to think of the government as a business. And what is every business interested in? Remaining a business and expanding. Mm-hmm. So, because it wants more power, it wants more money. So, how do you get more business as the government? You increase the size of government, not just the federal government, but the state governments, and you make them dependent upon the federal government. So this is this has always been the sort of the, the, the more liberal approach, but it's a business. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at the way it's run, it's run very poorly. Well, extremely uh, poorly. You're, what you're talking about, in my estimation, is a, a a communist model, because government is not a business. Now, the Chinese, to them, government is a business, and they own all the other businesses that well, make up the business called government. But if you look but, at, but if you do look at. A government as business, then we're in competition with other businesses called other countries, and this is and the question is is who's the one who's going to win is the one who's the most efficiently run, and we're not running the business efficiently. Agreed, because uh, if you look at if you take that perspective and we're uh, in competition with other countries, you would think the logical thing to do is how do we get our product at a lesser price more efficiently. So let's take uh, 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 oil, for example. We have tons of oil here in the United States, but we don't drill for it. We, we would rather ship it from another country that we're in competition with. Yes, right? absolutely. So you're, you're right. In terms of this is really a shoddy-run organization, I, I call it fly-by-night. That's, sure, yeah. that's what this is, a fly-by-night organization. And... Uh, but but still, these are people who are going to go into the voting booth by themselves. That they don't have to tell anyone what their answer is as far as who they're going to vote for. And yet, there's 50% of them are saying that I like what's been going on the past four years. I want another four years of the same thing. And we're talking about 12% unemployment. Now, 12%, you have to look at the positive side. Well, oh, okay, that means there's uh, uh, 80, 88% are, are working. 
Well, yeah, okay, but <laughs> your your numbers need to be around three or four. Look, uh, imagine the way that the Democratic Party has, has painted itself in the minds of its voters. And that is is that for every individual voter, voter, the Democratic Party is holding a parade. And instead of throwing confetti, they're throwing money. Mm-hmm. But, oh, no, we've run out of money? And whose fault is it? It's the conservatives, those mean old people who happen to own the paper mill, they won't let us have more confetti. Right. So we can throw it out to the masses and let them uh, partake of it. This is, this is the problem, is that they have been able to effectively market themselves as an entity that is uh, capable of, of, of giving them money. If, if money isn't coming forth, it's not their fault. It's the other guy's fault. Well, Adam, we're kind of running out of time here, and boy, I think maybe we're going to need to bring this subject back because there's a lot of interesting information here. And uh, maybe we'll kind of finish this off next week. But in the meantime, we need to bring Rabbi David Katz on board because I guarantee you he got another excellent uh, excellent teaching for us today. Well, welcome. We are Let's bring him on. on Folks, we'll catch you on the other side. With another segment from the Academy of Shem and Aver, I am Rabbi David Katz for another week. And this week, we are going to discuss where is Shem in the Torah? This is an ongoing theme that we've involved ourselves with. And there's a, a little-known Midrashic principle stated in the Midrash about when a tzaddik, a righteous person, when his name is repeated more than once. We find two places in the Midrash that go over this detail. Let's go over the, 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 the one of the main sources is in the Torah. Jacob's name is stated Yaakov, Yaakov. Jacob, Jacob. Rashi in that locale says that this is Lushin Chiva. This is a desirable language. A, a, a language of affection. Hashem stating in the prophecy given to Moses to write down in the Torah Yaakov, Yaakov. To state that Hashem has a deep affection for Jacob. Now that we know the benchmark of what double language or reiterated Lushan language means. Where else do we find this principle in the Torah? Now, if we don't look extensively, we may come to an error in our judgment and how we perceive this principle. In the Parsha Noach, we find Noach, Noach. Again, a reiterated language. And in the Midrash there, by Noah's source of double language, we learn a principle. That when a person's name is doubled up, he has a portion of this world, and he has a portion in the world to come. Who do we learn from this principle? We learn by Terach, the idolater father of Abraham. It says Terach, Terach in the Torah. And the rabbis learn that Terach did repent before he died. He had a portion of not only this world, but the world to come. Where else do we find this principle? By Yishmael. We learn that Yishmael does tshuva, he repents, and he therefore has a portion of this world and the next. Now we have an ongoing theme that Shem is not listed in the Torah. There's no Parsha Shem. We have a little bit of sources with Malki Tzedek. But where is Shem proper in the Torah? Not only that, but if we have Noah, Noah, we even have Terach, Terach. We have Jacob, Jacob. Where is Shem's double language? And when we look in the Torah by the offspring of Shem, we'll see that it actually says Shem, Shem. Now how are we to perceive 
this Shem Shem? And which which level of Shem Shem is it? Are we saying he's a Baal Tshuva, he's a repentant? Or are we saying he falls in line like Jacob Jacob, a language of affection? We also find that the Torah says Moshe Moshe, and that's where we'll find our source. That when the Torah omits the tradition stating the ramifications of Shem Shem, the Torah does not want you to make the mistake to think, to group Shem with Terach Terach Yishmael. When we open the Midrash Rabbah and we go into the story being told about Moses Moses, Moshe Moshe, there we can find the answers to what Hashem's inner inclination is when he says Shem Shem. And why doesn't the Torah say openly about Shem Shem? So let's look to Moses and the Torah says Moses Moses that this is the language of Chiba Lushin Zaruz. Language of affection, language of diligence. The commentators suggest what is diligence and what is affection? When we have affection for a person, we'll say Shem Shem such. That is the language of affection, or what if it's the opposite? There's there's something of uh, of urgency. Shem! Shem! The urgency coming from a Kaddish Baruch. Now just by Moses, who is obviously not coming to tell us that double language is a reiteration that he was a repentant. He comes in line like Jacob, Jacob. Moses, Moses. And just as Moses, Moses is language of affection and urgency, Shem too is language of affection and urgency. The Torah was given to Moses. In the future, Klai Yisrael, the world will come and request the Torah from Abraham. Abraham will say, why would you learn from me? Learn from Isaac, he learned more. Isaac will say, Jacob served more. Jacob will say, go to Moses that he learned from the mouth of Hashem. The mouth of Hashem was given over to Moses on the level of Netzach, the prophecy level, where the Torah was dictated letter by letter to Moses. Shem also. Where do we find the language of affection by Shem? His, his obvious omission. Now the, above Moses, the level of Netzach through kindness, through Abraham, we find the level of Chochma wisdom pertaining to Malki Tzedek Shem. The level of wisdom is where we perceive the inner thoughts of Hashem. So the fact that there's an omission and not written is very good. When it says Shem, Shem, there's nothing stated of the nature of Shem. Because in Moses' Torah that he received from the mouth of God, it's written to the level of prophecy. And what's the commonality between Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Moses in this tradition? Abraham says, Isaac learned more from me, more than me. Isaac learned from Shem. More than Abraham had learned from Shem. And then by Jacob it changes the word to served. Shamesh. Who did Jacob serve? Shem. For 50 years. Until Moses learned more from the mouth of God. But Shem. He perceived the mind of God. Shem is called the righteous priest. Elijah the prophet is also called the righteous priest. Where do we find the connection to Shem and Elijah? Eliyahu Navi is the prophet, the essential, quintessential prophet. As he spans all of time, Moses' prophecy is eternal and was the greatest prophet. Yet, we call him Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher. 
Elijah is Eliyahu, Elijah our prophet, or the prophet. In the future time, prophecy will not return in the normative sense. What will return is the powers of investigation into the mind and seichel, intellect of Hashem. The first redeemer is like the last redeemer. Gol Rishon Gagol Achron. That Shem, who, who was the pioneer in probing the mind of Hashem on the level of wisdom. Thus also, in the end time, when Elijah is to come back and anoint the Messiah, there are four craftsmen, Messiah, son of David and Joseph, Elijah and the righteous priest. And the connection of the righteous priest, Shem, with Elijah, the prophet, those two come together to teach us the revelation of the Messiah, son of David, son of Joseph. That instead of the, the normative prophetic powers returning, the powers of probing the intellect of Hashem to bring the Torah of Mashiach through the mind of God in the prism of the Torah, prophetically the words are brought down by Moshe Rabbeinu. That's a very affectionate concept. Hashem intimately involved in creation. On that level we say Shem Shem. The obvious omission, it doesn't need to be written. But for the powers of the investigation of the mind. And the, the urgency from Hashem saying, Look at Shem, look at Shem. It doesn't need to be stated, it should be obvious. When you look at the sources, the connection of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, we see the open, direct revelation of Shem's presence. Moses was made an Elohim to Paro. As it says in Shemos 7.1. Shem was called a, a priest to God above. When Jacob served Shem, Jacob was called the God below and Shem was called the God above. To be able to penetrate God and use and employ names of God. That's what Shem did above, which Jacob did below by the teaching of Shem. Moses then was placed as the vessel of to, to impl implement God below. Shem is that vessel to implement God above. Moses said, Hineni, here I am. And here we see the final connection in the Midrash of Moses and Shem. Moses said, here I am. When Hashem said, Moses, Moses, he says, Hineni, here I am. Here I am for priesthood and for kingship. As Moses was granted the rights of the priesthood, he was also granted the right of kingship upon Israel. Thus Shem also is also called Malkit Sedek, the king of righteousness, the priest of God above. Shem, the firstborn, writes of Noah. When the Torah says Shem, Shem, we can learn one level of Shem is to the priesthood that he merited. One level of Shem is to the kingship he inherited. Malkit Sedek, a priest of God above. Shem, Shem, the Torah states. Through the Midrash, through Moses. Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob. We can learn that just as the forefathers learned from Shem, arriving to the revelation in Moses, all of them had the double language of affection and urgency. We should not be surprised 
to find the same level in Shem, yet it's not written, we should probe with our mind and see the affection Hashem has and the urgency in Hashem's voice, find the affection of Shem in the Torah. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. See you next time. I'm Rabbi David Katz. Rabbi Katz, as always, thank you very much, sir, for that wonderful teaching. And, folks, uh, Adam and I are going to have to run on out of here real quick. Uh, We apologize, but we look forward to seeing you next week. Adam, catch you later. See you next week. You're listening to Israel National Radio. You're listening to Israel National Radio. You are listening to Israel National Radio. Israel National Radio. Israel National Radio presents J-Jam with Adam Mallerman. Jewish music is in the genes of Am Yisrael. We're the people who sung as one at the Red Sea and whose greatest king was also the greatest singer-songwriter in history. Hi, this is Adam Mallerman, and starting July 3rd, I'll be bringing J-Jam, the world's best Arab Jewish music, to Israel National Radio. Mordechai Ben David to Moshe Ben, Yonatan Razel to the Hevra, Yeshiva Boys Choir to Meda Tassa, and so much more. I'll be playing the latest releases, taking trips down memory lane, and of course, interviewing the stars of the Jewish music world. Join me every Tuesday evening from 7 p.m. Israel time, that's 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, on Israel National Radio. Arushel.